Today is week four in our series called Life Swap. We've looked at the things that, that we struggle with. Uh, Paul says in the book of Ephesians to put off the old, be made new in the attitude of our minds, and to put on the new. And I liken it to a wardrobe. I think Paul is kind of picturing this old closet full of dirty, holy, uh, holy in the sense they've got holes in it, holy stuff. And, God, and, and he's saying, you know, you've got to take that off. You've got to be willing to get rid of that to put on the new stuff that God has for us. And so when you have regrets over failures, he says, no, no, no. You're actually putting on an opportunity for growth. When you're looking at the things that you're concerned about, that you care about, you're worried about in your life, he says, take off the worries and put on peace. And last week we looked at um, anger, how so many of us carry around anger. And he says, get rid of anger and, and put on th- this cloak of kindness, compassion that, that's expressed through forgiveness. Now, today we're going to deal with an issue that I think um, so many of us struggle with, but all these issues that we're trying to put off requires something within us to stir because it's our responsibility to put off and to put on, and we need some motivation to do that. Have you ever seen those motivational posters, maybe in the doctor's office, maybe in a, in a business leader's office, things like courage and teamwork and achievement and success, all those things, kind of a little pep talk on your wall? Well, there's actually an organization out there that's produced some demotivational posters. And for some of us, we live in that place of being demotivated. We don't need much encouragement there, but I think some of these are hilarious. So I just want to show you uh, three of them, okay? So look at the screen here. First one, challenges. I expected times like this, but never thought they'd be so bad, so long, and so frequent. Okay, how about foresight? Those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those busy proving them right. They're one of my favorites. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> you know, you can learn from bad examples. You know, some of us have grown up, we just shared this in our marriage class. We learned some good things from our parents, we learned some bad things. We learned, I'm never going to do it that way. I'm not going to make the same mistake they made. And you know, the scriptures are full of both kinds, good examples and warnings. In fact, there, uh, there's a chapter in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul um, looks back at the Israelites. Now, these Israelites ha- had an incredible experience. They were taken out of slavery, um, brought on this journey with the Lord. They had experienced this miracle of crossing through the Red Sea. And Paul says, you know, you guys are kind of like them because you're, you're not following Moses, you're following Jesus Christ. And he's taking you on this journey. He's taking you from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. But be careful. And Paul actually warns the believers in Jesus, don't make the mistakes they made. These are written in the scriptures for you to learn not to repeat their mistakes. So what were their mistakes? He identifies four of them. He first says um, idolatry. That they sat down and they reveled in drink and, and food. And, and uh, if you remember the story, they worshiped this golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. God said, you shall have no other, no other gods before me. It says they were sexually immoral. That was the way the culture was. We, we, don't, we don't stay devoted to our spouses. We, you know, we sleep around with anybody we want to. We just, we just do what the body calls out to do. He says, don't be like that. Those that did that paid a great price for it. He says, don't do what they did in testing the Lord. They tested the Lord, and they suffered fatal consequences for it. And then he comes to the fourth one, and the fourth one's very interesting because when he comes to the fourth one, it's something that I think seems pretty common. It seems like a misdemeanor. It seems like, why would God get all upset about this thing? Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. 
grumbling, whining, grumping, the B word. I mean, all these kind of things that we, that, that, that we do quite often. I've read some of your Facebook posts. <laughs> but I think there's something really serious here we need to pay attention to. It's called grumbling. And in the Old Testament, King James Version uses the word murmuring. And even that word murmur, it's a droning sound. It's one of those words that sounds like the definition. You know, there's a lot of words like that, boom. You know, words like that. Uh, this murmuring, this droning, this undercurrent. It's the, it's the words and the sounds an unsatisfied person makes. Goes on and on and on, like murmur, murmur, murmur. It's just like an engine that's run, running, this muttering. Now you you know what I'm talking about. The the sound when you tell your teenager, put the cell phone down and go clean your room. What'd you say? You know, see, you you don't always need words to to grumble. In fact, I think a lot of grumbling is just grunts and groans and mumbling. We don't we don't want anyone. To, we just want them to know. I'm not happy about this. It's, it's the sound when your boss says, hey, you and your department need to pick up production, okay? We're getting way behind. Oh, God, God, God. Ask your spouse, what are we having for dinner tonight? Oh, we're having leftovers again. What'd you say? Oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. It's the sound your, your husband makes when you tell him, hey, honey, my cousin's coming into town. And they like to stay at our house for two weeks with their five kids and their two labs and their mother-in-law. Ugh. That's grumbling. You get what I'm talking about? And so many of us do it constantly. But there's something in this passage that I think we need to pay attention to. And you know what? I've never preached a sermon on this top topic. And I think it's just time that we address this topic because I find it within even the church culture as one of those things we say, oh, God, everybody does it. I mean, obviously, I can't be happy all the time. And there's a right to, to be grumbling about some things. I'm not happy about everything, okay? I have a right to it. But, you know, there's a right way to grumble and there's a wrong way, and we usually do it the wrong way. And here's what grumbling does ultimately. It, it pushes God out of your life. It takes you in the opposite direction of what God wants you to be going in because grumbling is very different from gratefulness. In fact, we got to learn to swap our grumbling for gratefulness because here's the truth. Faith only grows in a grateful heart. You cannot grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord if your heart is one that grumbles. Now, some of you are thinking, man, my, uh, my daughter needs to hear this message. Or my parents need to, my spouse needs to hear this message. You know what? I have someone in mind that needs to hear this message too. You. And me. Because all of us in some degree need to learn how to handle this. How to handle the frustrations, disappointments, hurts in our lives. So um, we're going to talk about that today. And I want to ask you, will you be open to listening to the Holy Spirit? Even invite the Holy Spirit to prick your heart in areas where maybe you have become a grumbler. Because like I said, your faith cannot grow in a heart that's filled with murmuring. So, Father, we come before you right now asking you to speak to our hearts, Father. Free us 
Free us from this critical, um, unhappy spirit, Lord. Help us be filled with gratefulness for what you have done and what you want to do in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. To understand the context of this whole warning, I really need to take you on a journey back in the Old Testament because some of you don't have a church background. You may not know the context of the grumbling. So the Israelites ended up in Egypt generations ago, a long time ago, thousands of years ago. Ended up in Egypt for over 400 years. They were slaves of Pharaoh, making bricks for the building of his empire. And uh, the people there, they didn't have um, worship services. They didn't have Bible studies. And so generation after generation grew up without knowing God. But they did know this. Somehow, over the course of the the years, this this oral tradition was passed on that, that there is a God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's an awesome God, a powerful God, who listens to the prayers of his people and who, who reaches down and does incredible things. So they decided finally to cry out to this God. God, deliver us from Egypt! And God heard their cries, it says, and he raised up this servant named Moses. Now Moses was a reluctant leader, but Moses, with the power of God, went before Pharaoh and said, hey, let God's people go. He says, it's not happening. He said, okay, God's going to bring some plagues to get your attention. And one after another, these plagues, you know, locust and, and uh, darkness and hail and, and the death finally of the firstborn. Ten different plagues came before Pharaoh's heart softened. And he said, okay, get, get your people and get out of here. And so they, they marched out. They loaded up their belongings with their animals and they marched out and they headed toward the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh had a change of mind. He, he went after them. He went to pursue them, to, uh, to bring them back, but it was too late. They'd already gotten through the Red Sea, which, if you remember the miracle, it split. And they went across on dry ground. An incredible miracle, awesome miracle. When they got to the other side and Pharaoh began to march through the sea, the sea then collapsed on them and killed the army. So I'm sure the people were thrilled. They actually sang a song, but then they found themselves in a very unfamiliar place in the desert. And so they began to walk with God on a journey, a journey that would take them to a place that, that God called Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm sure coffee beans, because that's what the milk and the honey go in, is coffee. So he's taking them to this place of abundance. But they're on this journey going there, but within just a few days, and we're just going to, I'm just going to give you a summary here. We, you can read it in more detail in the book of Exodus, but In chapter 15 of the book of Exodus, it says in verse 24, they came to some water, and they couldn't drink it. It was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So God told Moses, take a piece of wood, throw it in the the water, and it'll become pure. And God was beginning to show them something about his nature, Maybe a a message there that God takes what's impure and transforms it to something pure. Or maybe just simply to say, I will take care of you. Because then just a few verses later, as they continue on their journey, it says in verse 27, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palms, and they camped there near the water. It's like a resort in the desert. Wow. God, you're awesome. Well, not, not a few days ago you weren't awesome, but right now you're awesome. And they go up to chapter 16. They continue on. Months have passed. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're not even just a, they're not even a year away from Egypt, just a few months, and they're going, man, those were good days back then. I mean, we, could, we had all we wanted to eat, including meat. We don't have hardly anything here. So here's what the Lord said to Moses. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. This is called manna. Manna means what is it? They were wondering, what is it? It's, it's like cornflakes from heaven, sugar-frosted flakes. They were, they were, they... The Bible says they were like wafers with honey, so there's a sweetness to them. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Don't miss that part. I'm going to test them. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they are to bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why? Because on the seventh day, the Sabbath, they aren't, go, they aren't supposed to go out and get any. Now, here's what happened. If they would go out and grab more than they needed for a day to try to save the leftovers overnight, it would spoil. But miraculously, what they gathered on the sixth day would not spoil if they held it overnight because they were honoring the Lord for the Sabbath. So how do they do with their test? We'll go down to verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. God says, I'm going to give you this, this whole thing here. I'm going to provide for you every single day, every meal. You've got enough food every single day. Sixth day, get twice as much. Seventh day, relax. Day of rest. Trust me. Seventh day, they get up. Let's go get some more manna. There isn't, there isn't any. There isn't any. God says, golly, you don't trust me. You don't trust me wasn't too much longer. We go to chapter 17. They're back on the water thing. Verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Why? Why? Why are you doing this, Moses? And their complaints against Moses are really complaints against who? The Lord. The Lord. And so God then tells Moses to strike the rock. Water comes from the the rock, and Moses then in verse 7 says, he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? I mean, where is the guy? Come on. God's not very pleased with them. I didn't put all these other scriptures in your, your notes here, but I want to jump over to Numbers um, chapter 11, verse 1. This, this bent toward whining. Here, here's what, what Moses wrote in the book of Numbers. Now the people complain about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused, and fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. And then the final straw. They come to the crest of the promised land. God says, look, look, at, look, at, uh, look at all that land that I'm going to give you. Pick a, a spy from each of the 12 tribes to go in and explore the land. Get a view of it and come back and make a report. So they did that. Ten of the spies came back and they said, man, they're, they're grapes bigger than you've ever seen. Pomegranates there. It's a lush place, but there are big people there and they're not going to move easily. I don't think we should go in there. I think we should stay right where we are because we're going to get killed if we go forward. And so here's, here's what it says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then, and then two guys, two other spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, No, 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 guys, listen, listen. 
God has been with us in the past. Think of where God brought us from. That same God's going to be with us. Yes, it's intimidating in there. There's going to be some battles we have to win, but he is able to defeat the foes we face. And they wouldn't listen to them. And God's anger burned against the people, and he said, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to go in that land, ever. Every single one of you is going to die in this desert, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. Think about that. They lost out on this incredible promise that God had for them simply because they grumbled too much. And I wonder sometimes if God says, you know, I have all kinds of good in store for you, but you're never going to lay hold of it because you grumble way too much. You don't trust me, and therefore, you will not see the promised land. See, here's what's so wrong about grumbling. Three things that, that rise up out of this story. Number one, it obscures God's blessings. You don't see the blessings you already have. See, God had rescued them from a place they didn't want to be, from Egypt. That's why they cried out to God for deliverance. God rescued them. And he brings them into the, the desert, and, and they don't like it there. I mean, in just a few days, they start to, to whine about what they don't have. And what's even worse, they say, you know what, maybe we should have gone back to Egypt. Maybe we just should have stayed there. Can you imagine how offensive that is to God? If you were a parent and you and your spouse adopted a child suffering in a third world country in an orphanage, and that child's starving and it's, there's flies and it's just, it's just bad, and you rescue this little child, and that child grows up in your home, and, and when, it, when the child really starts to learn to talk, the child says, I don't like it here. I want to go back. I want to go back to where I came from. And as a parent, you're going, you're, you have no clue what you came from. You really want to go back there? Think how offended God is when we say, God, I, I, I actually like it better back there. Those, uh, those Egyptian gods, I don't know their names, but they took pretty good care of us. Think how offended God is at their lack of appreciation for what he's done. He's delivered them. Not only that, he's promised them so much more in the future. They can't see the blessings of the past. They can't see the blessings of the future because all they can see are the, the issues, the things they don't have. And when you focus on what you don't have, you block your view of seeing what you do have. See, in Egypt, they had, they had pots of food. Yes, they did have pots of food. They had some predictability in their days. But here's what they didn't have. They had no freedom. They had no hope. And they did not have God's presence. What do you want in life? You want what the world has? You want, you want the things of the past? You want the things that only God can give? When we fail to see the blessings, we fail to thank God, we criticize Him. You know, I, I hear people that say, you know, when the, when the sun's out, man, it's so hot today. Or so cold today. It's so cold. Why is it always so cold? And it's always windy. It's always blowing. And it doesn't matter what it is. There's always something to complain about. Whatever the food is, it's too salty. It's not enough. The portion's too small. You know, they didn't serve it right. You know, there's just constant, constant complaining and criticism. You may have heard this phrase, don't bite the hand that does what? That feeds you. Don't bite God's hand when God is blessing you with, with, with things that are amazing. So we go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. Moses says, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. 
God was still good to those people that never got to enter the promised land. He says, look back, guys. Your shoes have never worn out. Your belly's never been satisfied with some food. God has taken care of you. Not what you probably wanted. Especially the ladies probably said, I really would like a change of shoes sometime along the way. Forty years, the same shoes. That's, that's pretty, I don't know. I like my shoes, but I know you women. I've seen the closets. There's you know, 20, 30 pairs of shoes. You like to change them every other day. So it doesn't change. And the food, you know, manna, yeah, not fancy, not exotic, but it's faithful. And sometimes we have these expectations that I deserve the Ritz-Carlton. I deserve steak. I deserve, and God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. In fact, in fact, if you had all that, you'd trust me even less. I'm teaching you to walk with me, that I would give you your daily bread. See, David, David in Psalm 23 gets it right when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have him. I have everything I need. See, when you grumble, you also short-circuit God's growth in you, the, the, the pattern of your growth. See, when he brought these people out of Egypt, the desert became their spiritual boot camp. God brought them out of Egypt. He got them out of Egypt. Now he's got to get the Egypt out of them. And in order to do that, he's got to form them into a people, a tight-knit community that recognizes the fact that we have a God that actually cares about us. We have a God that can be trusted. And in order to develop that within them, they have got to go through this curriculum that God has in store. Now, here's the problem. What they think they need is different than what God thinks they need because they think they need water. They need food. They need meat. By the way, God gave them meat, so much meat. It, was, it says it was coming out of their nostrils. So, so many quail. They thought they needed the physical things. God says, no, no, no. You, you, your needs are far deeper than that. You ever notice that our complaints to God typically are over the physical things? Finances, health, weather, food, basic things. God, God says, yeah, I know, you, I know all that stuff. That's not the most important thing. What's most important is what's going on in here. What you need is to grow in your character. You need to learn perseverance. You need to learn patience. You need to learn cooperation. You need to learn submission. And in order to learn these things, I've got to bring you into the desert. Those of you who've been in the military, when you went to boot camp, was it a party? No. It was difficult. It was difficult. Why? Because the drill sergeants hated you. No. They loved you so much they said, we've got to toughen you for what's ahead. We're preparing you. In order to prepare you for what's ahead, it's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be struggles that you go through in order to develop the character traits that will, that will benefit you in the future. And we all know that when we, when we go on diets or go to the gym on a, on a health kick, it, it's, it's not fun at first. It's painful. It's difficult. But we know that the reward is great if we stay with it. See, I think the problem most of us have is on our agenda, it is to make us happy. And if we're not happy, we're going to complain. God's agenda is not first for you to be happy. His agenda is first for you to be holy, to be Christ-like. And when you are Christ-like, you become happy. And so when the first stop is not, is not the resort, oh, God, this isn't what I bargained for. This isn't what I signed up for. Character development. You know what? You will grow more during the difficulties of your life than during the successes of your life. Think about it. The times you've learned. Maybe God has, has allowed you to go through a season it's a struggle. 
physically, with your job, with your marriage, whatever it is, financially. You're going through the season. You go, God, this is like the desert. I, I feel like I need so much right now, and you're not providing it. And maybe God's saying to you during this season, is because what you need right now is to learn to get on your knees and pray more. You need to learn to cry out to me like you've never cried out to me. You need to learn to dig into this book like you've never dug in to find answers. You're not doing that. I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to have to do that. The reason you're not prosperous financially is because you don't know how to manage your money. You don't honor me with the first fruits. You don't share it with others. You don't save for the future. And you need to learn to live simply. When you learn to be a good steward of what you have now, then I'll expand your resources. See, we are so focused on immediate gratification. I want it now. I don't want to grow in the process. I just want it now. God, I'm tired of my marriage. Why did you give me this spouse? And God says, because that's what you deserved. You need to grow. You need to grow up. And, and my focus is on them, but it's also on you. So I'm trying to stretch you and grow you. But even beyond character development, God is trying to grow our faith. You know what I think is so amazing is these people um, went through the Red Sea, saw the parting of the water, saw, saw an amazing miracle, something probably unlike anything you and I have ever witnessed. This, I mean, that, that would be a miracle you'd remember, right? How can you witness a miracle like that and then a month later say, God, we want to go back to where we came from? Because the truth is this. Witnessing a miracle does not develop faith in you. It doesn't. It can, and it ought to, but it doesn't by itself. It can make you actually kind of selfish. It can make you flabby because that, that's, that's easy. It's, it's the going through the difficulties when you have to say, God, I still trust in you. Even in the desert, I still trust in you. God, I'm going to wake up the next day and there's going to be the manna again. And I trust you. And God says, now you're getting it. Keep walking with me. I'm going to do that. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day. Not monthly, not yearly, not even weekly. Daily bread. And see, we don't like living day to day. We don't like that. We want God to provide the whole bundle. He wants to grow us. In James chapter 1, verse 3, James says, we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Job knew this. In the book of Job, Job writes that when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So the, 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 the desert, whatever the desert is you're going through, is a period of testing. Are you growing? Are you trusting? Here's something else that grumbling does. It taints my witness. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter um, 2 when he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do everything, he says, everything, everything, everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean everything. There's not a loophole in there. Do everything without grumbling. Why? Because people are watching. People are watching. The culture, which is a dark and crooked place, grumble all the time. You will shine like a star in the universe when you're different. And you know, when people look to you and they see you going through the same things they're going through and, and they say, you know, how do you do it? And you shine the spotlight on the Lord. You know what? Yeah, we went through tough times and that was a struggle, but you know, here's what the Lord did. Here's how the Lord showed up. Here's how the Lord delivered me. And that's how we hold forth the word of life. You know, I, I don't like being around grumpy, negative, complaining people. They're just not fun to be with. We need to learn to be positive, to, to learn to look at things very different. 
and to recognize the fact that God is a faithful, good God. So how do we do that? How do we do everything without complaining or arguing? Number one, learn to vent feelings and then faith. See, there is a place for complaining, but it's not the way you think. It's not, it's not posting on a Facebook. It's not, it's not standing up and shouting how frustrated you are to everybody else. It's not telling the family how disappointed you are. It's going to the Lord. Because if you look at the great men and women of the Bible, there are times they complain. Why me, Lord? What are you, what are you up to, God? I don't understand things. Jesus, please help me. But in the midst of their complaining, you'll notice they weave it in with faith. And we see that very beautifully in Psalm 142. Because in this psalm, David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour up before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. So, so David is pouring this out to the Lord. Who is, he, who is he complaining to? The Lord. Not to everybody else. The Lord. And then, verse 5. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He comes back to the place of faith. God, you know, this is my complaint, but you are my portion. You are everything. I trust you. See, he doesn't say, now I wish I could go back to Egypt where life was good. I wish I, I, I could go back to before I became a Christian because then I was really happy. He says, no, God, I, there's something going on right now that's, and I'm happy about it. I just want you to know. See, I believe God God appreciates honesty in prayer. There's nothing wrong with, with venting a complaint. If, if you don't like something going on in your life and God's the one who's in charge, then go to him. Go to him. You don't like the weather? Weatherman didn't give it to you. Your spouse didn't give it to you. Talk to that guy. God, why is it like this again? You know, sometimes you'll feel, feel a little foolish doing that. But God's the one who's ultimately in charge. And then, then trust in his goodness. That's what David was doing. You are my refuge and my portion. It's coming back to the place where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have a father who knows what you need. And your father sees and he understands and he cares and he provides. He's a good father. He's a good father. Good, good father. When you're going through those seasons of the desert, reflect upon yourself. God, how are you growing me? God, what are you trying to teach me? What characteristic are you trying to develop in me? What spiritual habit are you trying to um, develop within me? And maybe it is more consistent prayer. Maybe it is more passionate Bible study. Maybe it is some character issues like patience and perseverance. Or maybe God's just trying to reveal something about his own nature to you. That God is a faithful God. That God is always true. That God is strong and able. And then replace grumbling with gratitude. That's ultimately where we need to go. That instead of grumbling to say, God, I am grateful for what you've done. I'm grateful for what you've delivered me from. I'm grateful for what you have in front of me. And I'm grateful right now. When I moved to Arizona in 1985, I'd never been to that state. And I couldn't believe Sand everywhere. Just, just big desert. My wife even called it the miles and miles of kitty litter. And I thought, why would anyone want to live down here? And then I found out there's millions of people that live down here. And I discovered something I didn't realize. There's life in the desert. There's, there's plants that grow in the desert. There's animals that flourish in the desert. There's beauty 
even in the desert. Things grow there. And you know what else grows in the desert, the deserts of your life? Faith. Faith is being developed in the desert of your life. And I, I don't suggest being Pollyanna-ish uh, of just sticking your head in the sands and just, just uttering positive phrases, just meaningless. I, but I, I, I would like you to reach deep inside and to say, it's a good day. It really is. That, that the first thing that comes out of your mouth in the morning when you get out of bed is, thank you, Lord, for another day. See, we need, we need to replace the, the grumbling with the gratitude. Now I want to challenge you that you make known to others how grateful you are. We're pretty good at posting complaints and telling people how, how upset we are and disappointed and frustrating we are. And I know some of you are saying, but pastor, there's just some times you, you, you just have to voice it. <laughs> then voice it to him. I do not find a single admonition to complain to others, ever. You may say, oh, that's not, that's, that's not possible. I say, yeah, it is. We're told to do everything without grumbling. We're also told in Scripture to, to be thankful in all circumstances. That there's a silver lining in everything. God, thank you for the hot, sunny day. Things are growing. I'm getting a good tan. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this cold, cold day. Those germs are dying all over the place. And there's a beauty in the snow. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for that wind. It's pollinating the, the air. It's moving the trash from my yard to my neighbor's yard. Um, thank you. Thank you for the wind. I mean, be grateful. Thank you for these leftovers. I have food to eat. There are a lot of people around this world that don't even have what I have. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I have, I have cold water to drink. I mean, on and on you can go. Fill your heart with gratefulness. Here's what many of you should do, because you're on Facebook. I challenge you to do this. For the next 30 days, don't write a single complaint, but every single day, intentionally, post something that says, I'm thankful to God for you fill in the blank. 30 days of gratefulness. To start your day with praise. God loves the praise. When your kids come to you and they say, thank you, Mommy, Daddy, for, for, for giving me something, what happens in your heart? You want to give them more, right? Our Heavenly Father loves it when he comes and says, Father, thank you. I, I can't even believe it. I, I'm kind of like Dave Ramsey. When you ask Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, how are you doing today? He says, better than I deserve. And that's the truth. God has treated me far better than I deserve. I came in this world as a screaming naked baby. And I'm so glad I got the chance to live. There's been some hard times. There's been some painful times. But I get to live and you do too.